The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we start this episode of Bench with Bubba, a couple things to talk to you about. First, the Listener League. Bench with Bubba Listener League, 12 to 15 team Roto, still working on that one. Um, Roto League, OBP instead of batting average, preferably a live online draft is what we're looking at. Uh, weekly lineup settings, fab coming out every week. Tons and tons of fun with the listeners. Already got four or five guys signed up. Just give a rating and review on iTunes. Show me proof of that rating and review. You are in the league. If we have a bunch of people wanting in, we'll start a second league. So let's do it. Bench with Bubba Listener League, rating and review on iTunes. Much appreciated. Hit me up. Let me know how that's going for you. Also, go check out the Fantasy Black Book. Great way to get ready for your fantasy baseball season. I did a catcher and relief pitcher preview. Joe Pisapia's 10th year doing the baseball black book 10 years of baseball black book the best-selling black book so a great group of guys Joe Sapia, is it the welsh ariel cohen chris meany matt modica alex chamberlain um we have eric cross we have nate dawkin paul sporer and so many more that i'm just i apologize if i missed you but a great slew 9 10 12 riders over there at the fantasy black books so go check that out on amazon and itunes and tell them bubba sent you but for now, Bench with Bubba, episode 238 with recurring guest, great guy, Brian Rudd of Baseball HQ, talking some uh, draft strategy, some KDS strategy, some recent news, a slew of players, listener questions, and more. Enjoy. back everybody to another episode of bench with bubba episode 238 have a special guest recurring to the show to talk some uh interesting players facts or flukes type style which makes sense for a great article he writes over at baseball hq gonna talk some strategy talk some kds talk which i don't think is talked about enough especially on my show and much more you can find him on twitter at rud hq brian rud how we doing my friend i'm doing great bubba thanks for having me back yep definitely it's always fun having you on the guys at baseball hq 
You guys do amazing work over there. Why don't you let everybody know what you have cooking over there, what you, what you do on the regular, and anything else you have going on? I write a weekly article called Facts Flukes that looks at five different players and checks in on their skills and their outlooks going forward. We have a rotation of guys doing those, so I do those one day a week, and we have them rolling out pretty much every day. And I also do a last three years, I've done a two-start pitcher column that comes out on Sunday afternoons, and I'll be doing that again this year. I've also started writing a little bit at Sportsbook Wire and doing a little uh, gambling stuff over there on football, and I'll be picking picking it up more once baseball season rolls around over there. Nice, nice. I'll have to go check that out, Sportsbook Wire. It'll be fun to check out, but uh, the work at Baseball HQ is always awesome by, by all the guys, and Brian does great work. Uh, he's a great fantasy player, so always fun chatting it up with him. Uh, we have a couple of little moves and news to talk about before we get into the meat and potatoes of it all. Marcelo Zuna finally found a place to play this year, going to Hotlanta to be a member of the Braves. It's on a one-year deal, kind of a prove-it deal. Maybe get a bigger one next year, kind of surprising for a 29-year-old. But the hit tool is ridiculous when you look at baseball savant. He's projected to hit fourth in that lineup, Acuna, Albies, Freeman, Ozuna. Um, he was, as of last night, he was since January 1st in draft champions. Going around pick 106, that's obviously going to change. What's your thoughts on uh, Ozuna going forward, and where do you think he ends up, say, March come draft season? Yeah, he he landed in a great spot for sure. He got real unlucky last year, hit just 243, but that was with a 259 BABIP that's way below his 315 career mark. And his expected batting average um, at Baseball HQ was 275. Baseball Savant is 288, but at Baseball HQ, he had beat his expected batting average every other year of his career, including by more than 30 points each of the last two years. So he's somebody that usually overperforms that metric, and he fell way below it in 2019. And the batted ball data was still impressive. He was top 10% in exit velocity, hard hit percentage, expected weighted on base, and expected slugging. Now he's in a better park, better lineup. So he's an unbelievable value um, up to this point. But like you said, his value is going to shoot up. I would think maybe 30 to 40 picks by mm-hmm. the time March rolls around. What are you thinking? Yeah, I was thinking 75 to 80th overall, but I wouldn't be shocked. Like if you're thinking into the 60s because of the tools that he brings to the table in a lineup like that with those table setters in front of him the counting stats can be pretty pretty darn good in there. Like you said, and, and I know I looked into it uh, earlier this offseason because I was kind of confused. You look at his stats like you mentioned last year, he underachieved in a big way compared to the norm and just the expected stats. And um, if we expect him to return to, say, the 2017, 2018 versions of Ozuna, A, it's a great deal for the Braves, and B, he should definitely be much higher uh, in the rankings. Like I was thinking he should be slotted in kind of around maybe – not as close, but somewhere behind Stanton by about maybe in that range, maybe 10 picks later in that area. So I could see something in that range of where he's going right now and what he could potentially do. I'm thinking top 15, 16, 17, maybe outfielder off the board, something around that range is where I see him right now. Yeah. I don't think you can count on him to repeat those 12 steals, but he should be good for, you know, 275 average, 30 homers, and a lot of cats. 
there's usually a discount for these unsigned guys before they sign, and now that discount's for sure going to be gone with him. Yep, it's going to be gone in a big, big way. So uh, it's fun to see him there, but, uh, yeah, I can't wait to see where he ends up, especially now that in the NFPC the online drafts are starting to get ramped up. That's when we'll really see it get interesting uh, as as the different draft strategy comes into play in these formats. Uh, let's talk about kind of the twist, though, because – if you if you're on Twitter enough, you know the Cardinal Nation can be a wild nation, and many of them kind of assumed that Ozuna was coming back to town the longer he sat on the market. Well, he didn't, and so that leaves them still with Dexter Fowler, um, Harrison Bader, you got Tyler O'Neill, but many like the, the guy Tommy Edmond, you know, infield outfielder. He's been a very popular name out there. It looks like now Ozuna's not going to take his spot, obviously. I just out of curiosity, do you have any takes on Tommy Edmond? Because he seems like a guy that people really love or they just don't know what to do with him. I guess I'm kind of in the middle. Um, I mean, I do like him. I think he's probably a li- going a little earlier than be willing to take him right now. And maybe this, them not bringing him back secures his spot a little more, but I still don't think I'll end up with him. But I do think he's a pretty good player. Yeah, and it'll be interesting with Edmonds because right now in NFPC, second base, third base eligible, about pick 130 overall since January 1st. Now you throw him, he likely get an outfield eligibility. Not saying you probably want to put him in it. You'd probably rather have him at second base or something like that. But it does open up another avenue. We know how much people love multi-position eligibility. So definitely something uh, kind of when you see moves like this, not always just trades but signings. There's a ripple effect more than just the team they signed with. So it's an right. interesting way to look at it and something to think about uh, in the long run. Uh, one last yeah. bit of news that came out over the last couple of days is Dustin Bedroya, who many have kind of expected is really close to just retiring as he keeps trying to battle back because that's what he does. He's always been a hard guy like that. But eventually the body tells you no, and it seems like it might be getting ready to tell him no. And they signed Jose Peraza this offseason to a really cheap deal. He's going to be 26 this season coming off a horrific season last year in Cincinnati. But we know the speed's there, a little bit of power, but you know, batting ninth in a, a powerful Red Sox lineup is almost like a second leadoff hitter at some point. Let's just say, if Jose Praza is the guy, what do, you, do you have any any likes, dislikes of a guy like Jose Praza? Because he's going basically free right now in drafts. If he's established as the guy, I mean, I think he would be a pretty good value, but I would think that ideally the Red Sox – we don't really know what Michael Chavis is yet. You know, he mm-hmm. came up and got off to a great start, and then the strikeouts caught up to him. He had a shoulder injury in August, but even after May, the power just wasn't all that great, and he strikes out a whole lot. So, I mean, I think ideally they may want to have him at second and, you know, playing first against lefties when they can bench Moreland and have Peraza in a utility role. But, you know, there's a lot of downside with Chavis and Peraza could take the job. So I do think, you know, if you miss out on steals early, going after pick 300, he's a he's a good um, good target with some upside. Even, but he is – I can't see him getting near the top of that lineup right now either, which kind of puts a cap on the ceiling. But I do think, like I said, if you miss, miss out on steals and you're trying to play catch up there, then he would make a pretty intriguing target in the later rounds. Yeah, that's a good point. There's a great chance he never gets higher than ninth in this lineup. Like he's really kind of probably pigeonholed to that spot because it's so top heavy there, and it will take away a ton of at bats and opportunities at a later time. So 
very valid point in, in that respect. I think it's more of a, a gamble on steals late, like you were talking about. Uh, that we could see Chavis there. I've, I've heard, you know, maybe they bring Moreland back. Maybe they let Bobby Dahl back play first base if he has a good spring. I've heard a ton of scenarios. It's been, you know, I never thought we'd live in an era where Peraza's name was very popular on Twitter. Well, we're there right now because it's mentioned all yeah. over the place. And um, so I thought it'd be a fun topic to get another opinion on it. Um, I, I talked about it on the last episode with Toby when we did the second base preview, how I don't mind taking him as a gamble for steals late because when, you know, you've been doing your research, when we look at the ADP and the demand for steals, um, a lot of the big-time stealers that, that Peraza could be. And it's a big could because we haven't really seen it all, a full-time with him. It's, you know, 20-plus steal potential. At that point in the draft, you're not going to find very many places. So it's one of those type of things. Like you can get Luis Arias late for, for batting average, Peraza for steals, kind of late pieces of your draft to kind of finish out your roster construction. He gives you that option. Um, we're going to talk well, some lineup. Stra- we're going to talk some lineup strategy before we get into the KDS. Since I just mentioned it, what's your take on uh, steals? Are you kind of trying to be aggressive, like we've seen some, or are you just kind of trying to fill it throughout the draft? I I like to get pretty balanced players early on, guys that can prov- provide power, speed, and uh, definitely batting average. So I've I've been trying to get quite a bit of speed early on. Um, like Trey Turner, I would probably have him, or I'd definitely have him ranked fourth right now. So I'm pretty into getting some some steals early on so you don't have to chase that. I would rather be building a great base of um, speed and batting average and some power and then tr- try to play catch up on the power a little later than vice versa. So. I've been attacking the speed pretty heavy early, though I don't want to overpay for just the one-trick ponies. But that that's what you may end up having to do if you're chasing at the end. So I like getting those balanced players early, if that makes sense. Again, no, I'm 100% with you. Like, There's a few exceptions, and like, Trey Turner is a guy I try to get early, but then I try to explain to people, in reality, Trey Turner actually have got more power than people think. We just haven't seen yeah. him play a full year. He's got 20-plus homer potential, so – when you're getting that kind of production, he's not really a rabbit to me. He's not a, you know, Mondesi's kind of, he's a rabbit, but he's got sneaky power, but does he stay? So he's more of a rabbit than Trey is to me. I love the Jose Ramirez's of the world. Uh, I think there's there's a lot there, but I'm with you. I'm trying to get a little bit everywhere. Tommy Pham's a big target of mine. He's got 20-20 potential that you, it's hard to find. But if I can find guys throughout my team that has that 10-plus steal potential and you just, you know, have six or seven of those guys, that's tremendous. Um, and I like the idea of not getting just one rabbit because if they get hurt, then you have no steals. You're done. Yeah, so, exactly. but I'm with you. I'm not kind of like in, in the old days, like I sound like an old man, but I'm, it's not that <laughs> way. But um, you used to not have to stay focused as enough because steals weren't at, like you could find five, five to 10 steel guys all over the place. Now it's uh, definitely a different beast. So it's an interesting topic. I can't wait to really see how these big drafts get going and how people approach the subject, because maybe it's all hearsay now, and then you see things change, but uh, time will tell on that one. When we're talking draft strategy, and I'm glad you brought this up, we're talking off, you know, in the DMs this week, KDS, Kentucky Derby style bidding, I guess, is the way that the NFBC does their draft slots, and everyone puts their favorite positions and how they'd like to go, and then it's a random order of whose choices get picked first, so on and so forth. So why don't you explain to everybody KDS and how do you go about KDS? Because uh, the briefest thing I've mentioned is I'd love to have pick one through three. Just give me, I I love three probably because give me one of the top three guys get the comeback first, but there's lots of ways to go about it. 
So how have you gone about it? And how do you see it going like a, a favorable way this season? All right. Um, yep. For those who aren't aware, the KDS is a Kentucky Derby style drafting where you get to rank your draft preferences one through 15, whichever order you want. And then they have a random draw to pick like who gets their first preference towards, you know, to the end. So, um, I agree that I like one through three. There's been studies that have been done. You know, the biggest drop offs are in the first round for dollar value per player. It shows incrementally going from pick one to pick 15 by the end of the draft. You know, the first pick, you're going to get like 10 to $15 more value than the end of the draft. It's just like incremental drop off from pick one to 15. For that reason, and because those top three are just money picks, I would definitely take one through three. And then I also think there's, you know, a lot of people are jumping up and taking a Cole or DeGrom in those top three also. So you have a good chance of those top three if you pick four also, you know. So I would definitely have four right up there. And then, but it's, I mean, just personal preference. Some people like picking in the middle of the drafts and they can avoid missing out on those runs better. And some people like picking at the end. So you get to pick, you know, your personal preference, and it's good. I try to take a look at the different scenarios. Every draft is obviously going to be different than what the ADP shows. Nothing's going to go in that exact order. But I like to try to map out the first four rounds and get a good idea of what, type of team I want to have at that point and what groupings of players I would like to have. And, you know, if you look at the ADP right now and you see Rendon and J.D. Martinez, 22 and 23, and then below that you're like, oh, man, I don't really want to end up with Devers or Harper or one of these pitchers that are going after him. So you might want to lock in that you get one of those top 23 picks and pick put Put pick eight as one of your top preferences there, if that make you know what I mean. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I, I like I like I like that strategy. We'll get back to some more of this, but I like the idea, like you just mentioned, they're mapping out. It's like the old, you know, you watch a football game. We mapped out our opening drive, like, and you see how well they go down the field. Then you have to adjust from there, and that, that makes sense for drafts too. It's like, you know, what do you want your base? We were just talking about steals. Well, when you're mapping your th- your draft out, you're probably hoping in that first four rounds you got a decent amount, like you found one big steals guy or something to have a good a base to build your team off of. You're not, you're not having like massive holes. You get a big starter. You might want starting pitcher or the, the power bats you're looking for. So it, it makes a lot of sense the way you're saying that. So I get it because most people flock to the front of the draft, but you're making a good case for the middle of the draft uh, where you don't have to like reach for players at the ends or you miss those runs. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But I like having that, that early third round pick. I like a lot too, which is, you know, I think there's plenty of value in the late second and early thirds, which is another reason I, w- I would like to pick at the top. So the last draft I did, I kept it, you know, I changed some things past from like 10 to 15. I changed things around a little bit, but I think I kept it like one through nine or one through 10 to start off with. And one yeah. other thing I was going to add just to where you can get a little, um, use a little strategy within the draft is to, have, if you pick like, put 14 ahead of 15 in the in your draft choices and you can keep an eye on that team 15's roster during the draft. And if you see 
he's got two closers through eight rounds already, and you're choosing between a closer and another position, you can assume he's not going to take that closer and take that other position and get that closer coming back around. So I probably wouldn't do that myself for like to put two over one because I would definitely take Acuna over everybody, but just something that can you can use to your advantage within the draft. And that's that's a great point because most people don't think of it that way. Is when you're towards the back end, even if say you're 13, like it's just as close to the ends you are, you can kind of keep an eye on. Hey, this guy's already got two catchers. This guy's got two relievers. Whatever the situation may hold. You can wait till your next pick on the wraparound instead of maybe getting sniped on the other pick you want. It makes a lot of sense. A lot of people don't pay attention, and um, especially when the draft's moving so fast, when we do slow drafts or whatever, or say TGFBI or something, those are the little things you should like take a take a couple extra seconds and, and look at what's going on before you just go and make a pick. That makes it makes a ton of sense. Um, you just hinted at Acuna number one. That's who I have number one as well. Is it just the steals difference for you, or is there something else you see with Acuna? over, say, the Trouts and Yellows of the world? Yeah, I think the steals are the big factor and then the little bit of question with Yelich's health also yeah. pushes him down just a bit. So, No, that makes total sense. Like, I, I'm glad. I, I thought at the end of last year when the debate started, uh, visit Acuna, Trout, Yellich, uh, I thought the Acuna, Acuna crew, like us, would have been the very unique crew because it was kind of lambasted at first. Like, how can you not take Mike Trout? And it yeah. seems like more and more are starting to go Acuna. And the way I've always prefaced it, it's like 1A and 1B. It's not like 1 and 2. For me, it's you can take Trout all day long, and I'll never tell you you're stupid. Like, I, I, I get it. Yeah. He's a he's a great play. It's just more of a preference thing. And and I agree with you completely on that. I, I have Yellow third for me out of those three. And the more I've looked at Mookie Betts, it's, I still have Yellow three, but there's something about Betts that's starting to get my attention a little more that if you do have the fourth or fifth pick in your KDS – you're not going to be missing out on a ton with Mookie Betts. Um, yeah, I really do like that. When we're talking about uh, stats, we just talked about steals already. You know, saves is interesting because you have some top-heavy guys, and there's just like this slum of are they going to have the job all year, situations like that. Um, there's other counting stats. How do you approach when you need to attack these things? Because like saves, for instance, we're seeing in these early drafts, you can almost wait till round eight or nine, which you couldn't do in the past. Yeah, I do think there's more pretty good values at closer this year than in years past. And with, you know, they are, like you said, they're going later than the last several years. And with so many of the bullpens now that are splitting saves or unsettled right now, it's pretty important to jump in on, you know, some of those guys in rounds 8 through 12 or something and get a couple of them, I think. Yeah, definitely. Where are you seeing, like, are you seeing certain regions or when runs are taking place on stats? Have you noticed anything just yet of when you need to maybe have a certain position by so you're not, you know, buried? Are you seeing any trends so far that stand out to you? Um, not really. I mean, I got locked out of a little catcher run in my last uh, draft champion league and. You know, I just want to kind of going forward, draw a line where I want to the last acceptable guy I would want and just make sure to jump that person up a couple rounds if it's coming down to the last few guys and not get caught in another run and end up with somebody I don't want there. And and that's a good point you made about jumping up a couple rounds. Is that 
we hear it a lot that in the NFPC you go get your guys. That's like the the, the rules. You go do it. Um, how much of that do you do? Do you do you try to stick closer to your guns, or do you just say, you know what, like you just said with catchers, I need to make sure I go a little sooner? Are you making a point like you have your guys that you're going to jump the ADPs on these situations? Yes, I mean, I de- I definitely use the ADP as a reference, but I try to make sure to get come out of there with the guys that I want, and I would rather get them a couple rounds early than miss out on them in most cases. I don't want to you know overpay just to say hey. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to get him no matter what. But if it's somebody I really like that I think is undervalued, I'm going to get him a couple rounds before the ADP. I like that. Um, the last part on this, I was going to ask once you have more on this kind of draft strategy, um, starting pitchers. It's an interesting kind of like the stolen bases, go get them early or not. Starting pitchers, like you mentioned, Cole and McGrom go early. Um, we've seen – there's kind of a, a middle area that some guys like Nick Pollock absolutely loves, like a middle and a late area. Other people want to get their big guns early. How do you approach starting pitching? Because the more I've done drafts, I've started to realize I like a, lo- like a lot of the middle and the end, but if I miss out on them, I'm not happy with the alternatives. Yes, I'm I'm going to wait a little longer than most on the starters. You know, I'm I'm also not opposed to going with the starter early. I took DeGrom in the first round in a main event last year. But most of the time, I will wait on a starter. Like in one of the – I've done two draft champions. In one of them, I just had one starter through eight rounds. Then the other one, I didn't take take one till the last pick of the sixth round. So I've been attacking offense early mainly and then – I like, like you said with Nick, um, I like a lot of those mid-range pitchers. I've gotten Max Freed mm-hmm. in the ninth round, I think, in both my drafts so far. I'm really high wow. on him. And there's a lot of, a lot of those mid-range starters that I know that return on investment historically has been better on the aces, but at the same time, there's a lot of the mid-round guys, you know, rounds nine through. 15 or so that I feel pretty confident that it's um, will bring back uh, at least a small profit. And I'm with you there. That's what I, I've kind of noticed the more, you know, research I've done, mock drafts, best ball, so on and so forth. I've started to realize that as much as I like the, the, um, the aces. And like you said, the return on investment has been proven to be better. Like you said, Ariel Cullen wrote a, wrote a great article on it and others have as well. Can't really ignore the fact that these are what they are. But at the same time, it's one of those Max Freeds of the world. Um, I'm an Eduardo Rodriguez fan. I know not everybody is, but there's a lot of guys like there's a lot of guys like that. Paxton's starting to come up in drafts, but he's available. Um, there's a slew of these kind of young arms, and there's a lot of like not so sexy ones. I always bring up Jeff Samarja because it's not sexy, but he finishes like a top 40 starter every year and he goes so late. It's just there's a lot of these guys in the middle that I'm starting to find myself kind of like my old days where I'd always take pitching later, but lately I've started to take it earlier. I'm starting to kind of resort, revert back to that strategy. You know, if a DeGrom falls or you get those guys, yes, it's hard to say no. Like you said, you took him in the first round of a of a main event last year when you probably were going in there thinking, I want a big bat. But it just mm-hmm. – I think drafts always dictate uh, – you have to be able to change with the draft. So – Right. It's interesting to see how the philosophy changes. I'm 100% with you there. And 
Um, I think the, the one thing I would suggest to people, if you are waiting on pitching, do more research on your pitching. Like make sure you have those guys circled you want so you're not stuck with, you know, okay, I wanted Max Freed. I don't get Max Freed, but I need a pitcher right now. Who am I taking? Make sure you have that figured out. That's a big, right. big thing. And it play to your strengths as well. Cause I'm yeah. one reason I do that is because um, I've always done better at finding pitchers in the mid and late rounds than I am, than I do at uh, finding bats. So if you're one that uh, can find plenty of value offensively in the late rounds, then, you know, go ahead and attack that pitching early. But for me, I feel more confident in my ability to get the right pitcher later on than I am with a right hitter. So that's another reason that I attack the bats early. No doubt about it. It's always fun. Uh, every guest I have on trying to talk a little strategy from time to time because everyone's got a different approach. Like you said, you find your strengths and you, and you, you work with those. So it's kind of fun to get different viewpoints on how to attack a attack a draft because it's a, uh, it's wild. As fun as the draft is, if it's live or it's at least online or in person, it goes fast. And next thing you know, you're sitting there two, uh, three hours later going, why did I miss on this guy that was right there the whole time? So it's just like it never fails. There's always something. But uh, it's always fun to chat it up with uh, you guys on that. Now let's talk some facts or flukes. Some, some guys that, you know, had bad years, good years. What do we expect this year? Uh, one guy you mentioned, and I'm really curious on your thoughts on him because – Daniel Murphy was the talk of the town last year, signs a deal with Colorado, great hitter, going to Coors, let's do this. He got hurt, and it just never materialized. Uh, Roster Resource still has him batting fifth for the Rockies, which would be outstanding. He's going to be 35 years old, um, but still in Coors. What's your thoughts on Daniel Murphy for 2020? Well, right now he's going at, like, pick 249 over the past month, I believe, and yeah, last year he got hurt the first week of the season, rushed back, and never really fully got healthy. Wore this splint on his finger all year. With a full offseason rest, I think he could come back strong. This is the guy that hit the previous three seasons, hit 347 in 2016, 322 in 2018. I'm sorry, 2017 and 299 in 2018. He's in Coors Field, and you know I could easily see him batting over 300 with over 20 homers. So I think he's a great value at pick 249. You know, teammate to compare with his teammate, Ryan McMahon, he's going 50 picks earlier. You know, mm-hmm. we know McMahon, he had a good year last year, but doesn't hit well on the road, can't hit lefties. And I think Murphy still has the potential to do that. So yeah. I would, I would prefer Murphy um, straight up over McMahon, unless you really needed a second baseman at that point. He's going 50 picks later. Yeah, I like the Murphy call. He's going at, like you said, 249. Very interesting point there. If you look at first bases, uh, baseman, he's two, like uh, 13 picks after CJ Crone is a popular later option. A couple picks after Jan Diaz, right before like Mike, Michael Chavis. So some nice value because we were talking just a second ago about different positions and knowing when they fall off and everything. First base is loaded with star talent up top. And then it gets kind of interesting after, you know, say 13, 14 players. It gets real interesting after that so daniel murphy could be one of those guys to kind of uh make or break it for you here would you rather daniel murphy or cj crone i would take murphy over crone i've got crone in both so far so i do definitely like him but i would take murphy yeah i'm still very high on him i know people say detroit 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 but 
Crone's got that power, man. I, until he proves me wrong, I'm going to keep going to that value well with CJ yeah. Cron. Um, the other guy I was going to ask you about because he's kind of another guy that's not flashy like Murphy, but you know, good bat the ball skills is what I'll say to be nice. Um, Daniel Murphy or Eric Cosmer? Murphy. Okay. Cool. I like, I, yeah, I'm still. I mean, I I took him like at the end of the fourth round and a 15 teamer last year and one or two of those. And cause I think the upside is huge. And I, I still don't, I mean, I still think the upside is pretty close to what I thought it was a year ago. He did sit pretty often against lefties, which is a little bit of a concern, but I think if he's fully healthy and back to full strength, he will prove that, you know, he would be a good option in there every day. Yeah, I'm with you. I think a lot of that sitting was, not health, just overall production at the time. So they wanted to platoon. If he's proven he can hit like he was before, he's never really had that big of issues hitting lefties. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Let's go to a fun one because Giancarlo Stanton, he was a super high pick. People were big on him last year. Obviously missed most of the season due to injury. Massive power. He's dropped down to pick 56 right now, which is either great value or risky, depending on your outlook on life. Um, what's your take on Giancarlo? Because for many, he's coming at quite the discount. Yes, I, w- I would agree with that. He had almost 1,400 plate appearances the previous two years. And, I mean, I know people really got burned by him last year, so not wanting to dive back in. But And I don't think the ADP is going to be here come March. He's either going to be hurt again or – He'll prove to be healthy and it'll move up quite a bit. The only way I see it sticking here is if he's, if the health reports are good and he's just striking out all the time in spring. But mm-hmm. I would think it'll move one way or the other pretty significantly. But at this, in these early drafts right now, I mean, I think he's a uh, very nice value with some upside. You know, he has an injury risk, but look at those plate appearances he put up the previous two years. I don't think he's as big of an injury risk as it's. Uh, made out to be right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, with, I'm, I'm with you. I got and, and listeners to the show know in years past, I never paid the Stanton price tag, but everyone's got a price. And when you're dropping down to pick 56 and you can get 45 plus home runs, um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'm very interested. When he's going right next to Eloy Jimenez, who I'm a big fan of, but I can get Eloy on his, you know, I guess second season, maybe first full season. In the bigs, I guess it'll be second. He started the year last year. Uh, second full season in the bigs in a great lineup. It's a good comparison, but man, what Giancarlo can do when he's healthy. And he doesn't, and, and Giancarlo can usually still hit for like 270 ish when things are cracking right. So it's a really interesting comparison. But I was going to ask you, man, I know it's, it may be a crazy question, but it's just fun in general because he's going to pick 56. His teammate Aaron Judge is going to pick 28. And I know Aaron Judge is really, really good. But he's shown massive injury problems as well. Which one would you rather leave the draft with based on their price right now? Stanton. Yeah, that's exactly where I lean. I was thinking the same thing, but look where Judge is going, where Stanton is going. Judge misses plenty of time. You know, like you said, Stanton outside of last year, he's had some fluky injuries. He got hit in the face with a baseball. Like, come on, people. Um, yeah. He's had fluke, fluky injuries. For the most part, he's played a ton. Where Judge seems to come down with something all the time. <laughs> so right. it, it's it's weird. It's a, it's an interesting one to keep an eye on, at least, I, I would say. The next one we're going to go to, and this is a fun one, Brandon Nimmo. I'm going to pick 352 right now. 96th outfielder off the board. 
uh, super popular name last season, played really well, great OBP guy, like massively good OBP guy. But right now there's kind of mixed reports coming out of New York that he might platoon. Uh, he might not get with, with Jake Marisnik. What's your take on Brandon Nimmo? Because if he's every day, he's a value. But what are you thinking? Yeah, I think he is a great value right now. That He uh, hurt that neck back in 2018, like August of 2018, and it's just been recurring. Cropped up a couple times last year, so who knows if that's going to go away. But you know, prior to that injury in 2018, he had gone through uh, about a half-season stretch, just a little over 300 plate appearances where he hit 272, 13 homers, and five steals. And he had, you know, had been hitting really well before that first cropped up. And I gave him a 25 homer, 15 steal upside in the forecaster last year. That obviously didn't come to fruition, but I still think he uh, possesses that kind of upside. Um, I hear what you're saying about the – it's kind of crowded out there. He, there's some – Definite risk that he's going to sit against lefties in favor of Mariznick, who's a better defender out there. Um, and if Cespedes miraculously makes it back to the field, it could be even more crowded. But I would think he would be leading off in against right-handers and playing at least some against lefties. And he finished the season strong after he came back at 261 with five homers and two steals in September last year. So I'm very optimistic about him going into 2020, and I think he's excellent value where he's going right now. I agree. I think uh, he's a really, really, really interesting player. Um, the, the biggest question I have is the crowdedness. In reality, he's the better player than Jake Marisnik. He's probably at this point in time, outside of the power, probably a better player than Johannes Suspedes because we just haven't seen Suspedes stay healthy and you know play every day. Who knows what he really has. I know he can hit the ball you know, 500 feet. But uh, what else is he going to do? Uh, I like Nimmo a lot, so I, I'm with you. I think I might start buying in more and more once we see him, you know, play some some grapefruit league games. But uh, yeah, right now, sneaky good value there later if you're looking for outfield help in the draft. And a, and a sneaky, like you said, you know, maybe 15 plus steals. Like that's a that's a nice thing to grab later in your draft. I no problem with that at all. Uh, let's talk about an interesting one. Mike Miner, I saw somewhere he had eight games of eight innings or more last year, more than anybody in baseball, which was pretty wild to think about. Um, he's going to be 32 this season. Great year with Texas. They're, they have a bit of an improved rotation as well. Uh, the workload last year is the only question mark I have, but overall things look really good. What's your take on Mike Miner in this year? Because if you're waiting on pitching, he's one of those guys going to like pick 177 you can kind of snag later in drafts. Yeah, I was not in on him last year, and that looked like a bad move for the first half, but then he kind of faded. And that slider, I put out a tweet last night about it, actually. But um, in the second half, it was just garbage. He threw in the first half, he got a 14.1 swing strike on the pitch. And held opponents to 241 batting average and 133 ISO. And in the second half, the swing strike dropped to 7.9 percent. It's almost dropped in half. Uh, opposing batters hit 400 against the pitch with uh, 243 ISO, and he lost about a mile and a half velocity on the pitch too. So I don't know. I think he showed 
some discouraging signs late in the year. And I don't know. I think the price is a little too steep for me personally. It is. Uh, there was definitely a downfall towards the last year. There's no hiding that. He's going, say, 12 picks before Andrew Heaney. Would you rather have Andrew Heaney? Yes. Uh, what about Luke Weaver? Yes. Yeah. Um, this is one that kind of surprises me and doesn't surprise me, but I want to pick 195, Jake Odorizzi. Yeah, I think I would I would take Odorizzi. That, that AL Central, man. Yeah, that's a good Anytime point. Anytime they're not playing the White Sox, you know, the, one-third of the twin schedule is going to be against the Royals, Tigers, and Indians. So that, that won't I'm start. not a huge Odorizzi fan based on talent, but I think you know he's pretty good and the situation is perfect. So I'd take Odorizzi over Miner. Uh, this is one of those guys that I, I, I get the injury concerns, but going to pick 196, I just don't understand why he's here unless I'm totally missing something. But David Price? Yeah, I think he still has some upsides. You just have to, you know, you know the innings are going to be kind of capped. He's going to miss some time at some point, but the skills are still pretty strong. So I, yeah, I so. would take more of a minor also personally. So yeah, there's a lot of guys down there for sure that uh, stand out as potential options uh, outside of Mike Minor if you're not on the minor train because it was a bit concerning to finish the season. No doubt about it. Now let's go to the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, center fielder, outfielder, Brian Reynolds jumped onto the scene last year and, and former Giants prospect, so I knew about him. He's left fielder now because of Marte. I knew about him in the Giants system. Very good average hitter. Didn't expect much power. Showcased that last year. Still very, very young. Um, and he's like the 50th outfielder off the board right now. Pick 190. What do you got on Brian Reynolds? He, if you're if you're trying to build, catch up in batting average category, he makes a great target in the middle rounds for sure. So, I mean, I think he will should be able to flirt with 300 again. He doesn't hit a whole lot of fly balls, so he might not quite get to 20 homers. And even though he's fast, he hasn't been very efficient on the bases. He just sold three last year, and he's 15 for 26 over the past three years. So can't I would count on like high teen homers and probably about five steals, but he'll hit around 300 and play every day, so I think. Pick 190, that's great value for him there. He's not much different than Michael Brantley, except you know, Brantley, I would expect him to hit for a little higher average, and he's in a better lineup. But I don't think the difference should be 60 picks between the two. That is a heck of a comp. I, I like that comp a lot. That's a really good one because Brantley's that guy that no one really likes because he's just an average guy and everything. But I think people are starting to catch on to him. And uh, Reynolds is a perfect comp to that. Like, that's a great one. I, I think the difference is you got Brantley on the Astros, Reynolds is on the Pirates. And they, people, it's like I made the joke about Cron, he's on the Tigers. Well, Brantley, um, Reynolds is on the Pirates. And people are just like, yeah, the Pirates. Yeah. And that's just, it's part of the, that's the weird analysis, like at least drafters in their minds kind of go that way sometimes. You know, you get the Yankee tax, well, maybe you get the Pirate discount. And it's something to like because 25 years old, as long as Marte's there, you got Josh Bell. Maybe one day Polanco decides to stay healthy and do what we hope he could do. Um, I just uh, he's another conundrum in itself, but um, yeah, I, I like that Reynolds call quite a bit. Let's go to Milwaukee. This is a name I've seen everywhere, like every season. You know, Brian, that there's like a slew of players that are you know this is the breakout year. This is the guy. Well, Brandon Woodruff's that name right now, and I'm not disagreeing with a lot of the analysis. I'm just curious about this price tag. He's the 25th pitcher off the board. I picked 75. 
Um, it's it's very interesting. The repertoire is the fastball's great. Uh, he's got some other stuff he's working on. The Milwaukee team will score runs behind him. What's your take on Brandon Woodruff going to this year and his price tag? Um, man, I, th- I mean, I think he's really, really good. He, he gets on all four pitches that he uses primarily. He gets double digits swinging strikes on all of them, including 14% on his four-seamer and 16% on the changeup. He does a great job limiting hard contact. He's in the top 10%, according to Baseball Savant, and uh, limiting hard hit percentage and exit velocity. He also improved that control last year. So I think he's an ace in the making. The only question for me would be the workload. He's gone between 113 and two-thirds innings and 121 and two-thirds, just a little small gap there each of the last three years. So don't know how much he'll jump up. I, mean, I could see him getting to 165, 170 maybe. So I think the numbers will be excellent when he's out there. Uh, so I think that's a decent price for him. It's going to be hard to turn a huge profit since the you know he's not going to give you the innings that some of the top guys are, but the skills are going to be excellent when he's out there, I think. That's kind of my thing is I just don't know how much you're going to get out of him. And that that's my question on the the draft price. I think the stuff's great uh, got for myself that – um, I do a DFS show on Monday through Friday. Towards the end of last year, Woodruff was a discount because the dude was electric and people haven't caught on to it yet. Now everyone's caught on to it, and the draft price for season long has uh, jumped up quite a bit. Um, so the tools are great. I absolutely love what he does. Would you take Woodruff over Trevor Bauer? That is a good question. They're, going, they're, going, they're going right yeah. next to each other. I have them neck and neck. Um, yeah, I think I would take Woodruff, but it's really what? close. What about Woodruff or eight picks later, James Paxton? Woodruff. I think, I mean, I feel more confident in Woodruff giving me 160 innings than Paxton. (laughs) That's a good point. Good point. Um, Woodruff or 11 picks later, Jose Barrios? I would take Woodruff there. Yeah, I I don't disagree with that. I'm just kind of surprised by Barrios' draft price. Kind of surprised by that. Um, Woodruff or Sonny Gray? I'll stick with Woodruff there also. Okay, let's go the other direction then. Woodruff or uh, going ahead of him, Tyler Glasnow? Woodruff. I think he'll throw more, more innings than Glasnow. I think they'll they'll be similar on a per-inning basis, but I would give Woodruff the edge in innings personally. This is going to be – I'm looking forward to this answer. Woodruff or Noah Syndergaard? Man, that's that's a close <laughs> one there, too. Yep. I think I'd probably take Cindergard. Yeah, I think that's a good spot. The last one I'll ask you because it's also an innings question. And he's going 16 picks before him. Woodruff or Luis Severino? Oh, uh, man. I think I'd go Woodruff there right now. I yeah, that, changed my mind on that one, but if, you, if I had to pick now, I'd take Woodruff over him. I don't hate it at all. Let's talk about another pitcher, the Atlanta Braves. Max Freed, he's getting a lot of steam right now. Awesome stuff he showed last year. He should get a full run this year with the Braves. Going to like 137, uh, going right in front of Eduardo Rodriguez, who we mentioned earlier at 138. Uh, you mentioned you've picked up Max Freed in the ninth round, which is outstanding twice. Uh, there's a lot to like with Max Freed. What are you seeing that you like about Max Freed? Um, he just – it's a well-rounded skill set. He added a slider 
last year that generated a 16% swinging strike and 200 batting average, opponent batting average against. He gets, um, on each of his three primary pitches, he got a double-digit swinging strike in August and September. He keeps the ball on the ground. He, get, he does give up quite a bit of hard contact since he's been in the majors. You know, you look at that baseball savant page and, you know, he gives, he does give up a lot of hard hits, but keeping the ball on the ground over half the time will still keep the homers in check. And he also really cut down the walks down the stretch. In his last six starts, he only walked six batters total. So, you know, he's a young up-and-coming arm. I think there's a whole lot to like with Freed going into 2020. So I'll be adding him to a few more teams, I think. Um, Freed, I, I like as well. Like I said, going by pick 137. His teammate Mike Soroka is going to pick 100. Would you rather have Soroka or Freed? I would take Soroka. I don't okay. think he'll repeat what he did last year, but I still think there's a lot to like with him, even though the strikeouts aren't going to be quite on par with some of the other guys going that range. I still like Soroka a lot going in this year. Oh, like, okay, let's talk about Oakland A's outfielder Ramon Laureano. Um, last year, pretty much undrafted. This year, he is going as the 20th outfielder off the board, about pick 72. Uh, 24 homers, 13 uh, stolen bases last year, 260 or 288 average was great. Project, projections have a very similar stat line uh, for this season, which for me, not so sure. It's the 20th outfielder off the board. Like uh, Tommy Pham's going after him. I'd rather Tommy Pham. But I get the Laureano love. Maybe he takes another step as he's still um, only 25 years old. Do you? What are your thoughts on Laureano going into 2020? Because he's a very popular pick right now. Yes. Um, I, I'm i a big fan of Laureano going into this year. He, his um, draft price is creeping up, too. It was 81 in November, his ADP, 78 in December, and also far in January, it's 72. So a lot of people are catching on and moving him up their boards. But before that, uh, injury to his leg he suffered last year. He was just he was one of the hottest hitters in baseball for a pretty extended stretch. 243 plate appearances, hit 326 with 16 homers and nine steals. Now he had a fortunate BABIP of 374 during that time. I don't think he's going to hit 300, but that power speed combo is incredible. And I mean I don't think it's out of the question. He gets a 35 homers and 25 steals personally. So I'm a big fan of Laureano. And 35, 25 would be massive. Yeah. That'd I would take awesome. him over Fam. You take him over Fam. Well, like if, you, if, if you're on 35, 25, then yes, I 100% agree with you there. That's not what I would project. But I know. Ceiling. Um, I just Ceiling. Think that upside is there. And I would project more for like 30, 20. But. Which is still better than Fam. So. Uh, I, I can definitely go there. So if you're thinking, let's say 30-20, we'll go with that. Would you have Loriano? Would you rather have Loriano or Victor Robles, who's going 17 picks earlier? Loriano. I don't trust uh, Robles' power to. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just comparing power speed guys. Not like I don't want to compare with Giancarlo. It's a different draft style. But um, Loriano or Whit Merrifield? I would take Loriano. I listened to. Your pod yesterday with the second base, and I agree with your takes on that. You know, aging speed guy, those, mm-hmm. those kind of scare me. It is scary. Here's a fun one because 
This is another guy that burst onto the scene last year with ridiculous power, exit velo, and he's going, quick math, about 25 to 30 picks earlier, Cattell Marte. That's <laughs> right around the range, I would think. I think I would take Marte, but it's yeah. real close. That's a good good comp, I think. Well, we'll see, that's good. So that gives us a, about a seven outfielder window to uh, make and break, and that's kind of the whole point of the exercise of comparing the two is now we know – Say in an NFPC, you might need to jump a little bit because that's, that's a 25-pick deal. It's almost two rounds. I'm not saying jump two rounds for a Mo Laureano, but I know you pay attention to, you know, Modica and those guys tweet out stuff. Laureano's going earlier and earlier right now. Like Austin Meadows is up to the second round, late second round now. Laureano's going to follow him as people want that speed-power combo. So yeah. 100% with you there. Uh, the last guy I got on the page for us today Jorge Soler, a guy that in the Cubs system people love for his power. He goes to Kansas City. Not the best first year, but he's injured. Or not the best two years, but he's injured. Last year played all 162 games, hit 48 home runs, hit 265, um, 117 ribbons. Everything he did was amazing. Uh, maybe the bouncy ball had some effect, but he's a very powerful young man. Um, he's going to pick 83 right now. It's 22nd outfielder off the board. Now, saying he's going to duplicate 48 home runs is tough, but what do you think about uh, Jorge Soler going into 2020? Yeah, he's a tough one because everything everything he did was supported by the power metrics. Everywhere you look, mm-hmm. his hard hit data was just elite. So it fully supported what he did, but at the same time, it was just such a massive jump from what he had done in the past. You know, he had always shown impressive pop coming up as a prospect, but I don't think anybody was expecting 48 homers out of him. So I think, you know, he'll be a nice power source again. And I've seen most projections in like the 32 to 35 range. I'd probably take the over on those and go like 37 or 38. But I'd be pretty surprised if he got back to 45 plus again. Yeah, 45 plus would be tough. Would you rather Jorge Soler or five picks later Joey Gallo? Ooh, good one. Um, phew. Pretty much the same player, well, just different sides of the plate. <laughs> yeah. I think I'd take Solaire. I feel yeah. a little bit better about the batting average. Um, what about – I don't think – we talk, We started off the show talking Marcelo Ozuna. I don't think he's got that kind of power. But the overall package, would you rather have Ozuna or Solaire? I think now with where Ozuna is – uh, I think I'd lean Ozuna, but it's real close. And the last you? one, I think Ozuna too, just because I'm more confident in a repeat of like the four to five, like the four categories. I don't want steals, but the four oh. categories, I really feel confident Ozuna will produce. For Solaire, there's always that question uh, of getting yeah. that total production. Uh, the last guy I'll ask here, and it's kind of tough because we don't know where he's going to be playing yet, but assuming it's in a decent atmosphere – uh, assuming it's an everyday role, which it should be. We know the talents there. In between the years is always a different story. But Yasiel Puig or Jorge Soler? I think I would stick with Puig. I mean, the landing spot's going to be critical. Yeah, critical. But I, I like the power-speed combo he provides that early in the draft. So unless I've loaded up on speed, and batting average and just want to go for some pop at that point, I'd probably lean Puig over him right now. 
All right. Uh, let's do some listener questions. We'll wrap this bad boy up. A lot of great info, as always, from Brian. So we'll uh, get a couple questions in here. First, our buddy at Yancey Eaton on Twitter. Yance, um, we, we already hit the question uh, about uh, uh, Jose Peraza, our thoughts on him potentially being the starting second baseman. Um, let's just finish off his question. Assuming he's the starting second baseman, his ADP is currently 345. Where would you – it's tough. That's such a large gap. But say he's a starting second baseman. What kind of ADP do you think he would have? Like maybe a hundred spots closer, like two twenty-five, two fifty, or is that too much? I'd say I could. I wouldn't see him getting much past two fifty. I don't think. But okay, that's fair. Steals. I mean, I, I do think he has a potential for twenty steals, but it's a little concerning that the. Sprint speed, which had consistently been, you know, 90th percentile, fell to 75th last year, and he was just seven for 13 on the bases, and he'll be batting ninth. So, uh, you know, I don't think the upside's huge, but he does have the potential to get to 20 steals if things break right. But I would think 250 would be about the max he would go, even if at the bottom of the order, even if he was named the starter. Yeah, I agree. Cause I think there's always the concern that he could start with the job and still not end up with the job type thing. And that uh, makes it tough to pull that trigger on a draft pick. Um, Barry Baker loves his prospects. Good follow on Twitter. He's got two a two-parter here. Um, Yoshi Tsutsu. He, lo- he has nicknames for everybody. That's Tsugo, I believe, of the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, big power bat in Japan. We don't know what's going on in Tampa Bay. Playing time for anybody right now. Over under 30 homers. I'm going to take the under. What about you? Yes, I would take the under also. If he played every day, I could see him getting to right around that mark. But you know how the Rays are going to Ray, and he's not going to be playing every day. I wouldn't think they're going to mix and match, play the matchups. And I think he'll provide some power, but not in a full-time role. So I would take the under as well. It's going to be hard to see him get full-time because uh, Jason Collette said it best on the recent Sleeper in the Bust he was on. That that Rays roster, if you look at it, it's a legit left-handed roster and a right-handed roster based on who they're facing pitching-wise. And it's going to be, he said, outside of Austin Meadows, he's not comfortable with anybody. And that says a lot. Um, The other question from Barry Baker, uh, this kind of, I think, goes with the Tsutsu one. Yandi Mania, Yandi Diaz, or Tsutsu, who would you rather have this year? I see them as pretty similar players. Yandi started to tap into that power. Last year, he still hits the ball on the ground a lot, but, man, he hits it hard. So I think I would take Yandy. Main, I think he'll hit for a little better average, and he has that uh, second and third base eligibility, right? Uh, yeah, it should be – I got it right here. Give me a second. I was just looking at him yesterday, so I should know this off the top of my head, but, of course, I don't. Uh, I thought he was cornering. I don't know why yeah. I first and third, sorry. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big Yandy Diaz fan. I, it's just the, the playing time is a question. If we find out he gets even two-thirds of the playing time, I think he returns value for you for sure this year. So I'm, I'm a big Diaz fan. Uh, Ariel Cohen, who, you know, great TGFBI podcast of his own. The AC, uh, ATC projections just came out yesterday on fan graphs. So you can mix and match those with Streamer and the others. Really good stuff there. He has a fun question here. How do you resolve the seeming contradiction of power is plentiful, you can wait on power, versus you need more power than ever, must buy up top right away. So it's a great question because the theory is, well, everyone's hitting home runs, 
or since everyone's hitting home runs, do you need to make sure you have even more? Um, how do you go about that on draft day? Um, I think there's, you know, different ways to attack it, but uh, I like getting those, building up that batting average early and the well-rounded players with, um, and making sure I have a pretty solid speed base. And then I think there's several, a lot of mid-round power bats that won't kill your average that you can go for, like in the middle rounds, like Crone, like you're talking about, and Justin Upton, if you believe in a bounce back mm-hmm. from him, Mark Kana, yep. and Randall Gritchick. I mean, he, he could be a batting average killer, but plenty of power. And then even after pick 300, there's some other guys like Cole Calhoun, Jonathan Scope, Teoscar Hernandez. That if you have a solid speed base and batting average, you can add that power later. So I don't think it's a bad idea to go for the power only guys early on, but it's probably not my preference in an ideal setting. Yeah, that, that's a great great way to look at it. I, I try to stay more balanced early, uh, maybe slightly a little more speed involved, but I don't go straight power unless, say, you get Giancarlo or something along those lines. Uh, maybe you run into a J.D. Martinez based on the flow of the draft. But uh, most of my guys I'm drafting have 20 to 25-plus home run upside. If I get enough of them, I think I'm okay. But uh, there are some guys late. I love the Justin Upton call. I'm, I'm buying the bounce back. I'll, I'll say that right out the gate. Uh, Rudin Odor is another guy around Justin Upton's drafts price. He's risky, very, very risky, but uh, has ridiculous power if that ever works out. So lots of guys like that, like you mentioned. Uh, last listener question we have is from KLDog79, Kenny, from the FSD Slack chat. Uh, what does the future look like for Mitch Keller? This is a good question because Mitch Keller is one of those guys that a lot of people like. There's some mixed reviews on him because, I don't know, like early in the offseason, everybody loved him, kind of quieted down a little bit but uh, should get full run this year in Pittsburgh. What's your thoughts on Mitch Keller? I like him quite a bit. He was extremely unlucky last year, and I would have thought the price would be lower on him, but there's a lot of smart people out there drafting, so everybody sees the upside. He brings to the table, had 65 strikeouts in 48 innings last year, and uh, while ZRA was over seven, he had a 3.19 FIP, 3.47 XFIP, then uh, our expected ERA baseball HQ was also a little under four and he got up to 152 innings last year total. So I think he, he's, he has a ton of strikeout upside and I think has a decent chance to put up a sub four ERA. Yeah. I'm a fan of, of him and his draft price right now. I'm with you. I thought he'd actually be higher than this uh, for some reason. Um, would you rather have Keller or Caleb Smith? I'd take Keller. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, some guys going ahead of Keller. Keller or Miles Mikolas? I think I'd lean Keller. I'm a Mikolas fan myself, but yeah, I'd, Mik- I'd take the upside in Keller. I'd take Keller. For some reason, I just can – the lack of strikeouts for Mikolas kills me. If you could ever get that together, I'm a fan. Uh, speak of lack of uh, strikeouts, Keller or Mar- Marcus Stroman? I would also take Keller there. Yeah. Um, Keller or his teammate Joe Musgrove? That's real close, right about the line I would have him. I think I would lean Musgrove right now. But Yeah, it's real close. Real, real yeah, close. Super close. 100% with you on that one. Well, that'll wrap us up for this episode, Brian. Um, always awesome chatting with you and great information. Before we sign out, 
remind everybody where they can find you and what you got going on at Baseball HQ. All right. So you can find me on Twitter at, at Rudd HQ. And then at Baseball HQ, I write a Facts Flukes article once a week, and there will be one coming out next week. And also I do the two-start pitcher column called Double Dipping. That will get going once the season starts. So everybody check it out. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, again, thanks for joining me. Uh, we'll definitely do it again sometime. And everybody make sure to check him out on Twitter as a great follow, great information over at Baseball HQ. But for now, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 238, talking some fantasy baseball with Brian Rudd of Baseball HQ. Catch you guys later. Yeah.